I started using Pillar Performance about a month ago, and as a skeptic of just about every supplement on the market, I was so impressed by their triple magnesium and the benefits I felt from it, particularly with my sleep and recovery, that I reached out to them to try more of their stuff. And once again, for someone who never uses supplements, I was such a fan. And because of that faith I have in the products from using them and the benefit I truly believe people will get from using them, I'm happy to announce that this episode of How They Train is brought to you by Pillar Performance. Leaders in sports micronutrition, Pillar are changing the way micros are viewed when it comes to optimal performance. High strength and informed sports certified, Pillar's range supports optimal recovery, elevates energy, boosts immunity, and relieves inflammation. Head to pillarperformance.shop to learn more. And while you're there, use my code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order. That's code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order. And it supports the show. So it's a win-win. Welcome back to How They Train. I'm Jack Kelly, and today I'm joined by Daniel Backergaard. Daniel is the number six ranked long course triathlete in the world, and for the last two years has had results as good as just about any triathlete in the world. He came third at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships, you know, you know, like insanely impressive performance. Third at the Collins Cup, has won three Ironman 70.3s, and came seventh at last year's Ironman World Champs. That seventh place, I don't think quite does his race justice, though, as he was one of the key members of the five-man group that was at the front of the race for over five hours. And Daniel really drove that group throughout the swim and the bike and was a massive reason that they all had such huge races. And so it's an absolute dream to have him on before this year's Ironman World Champs because Daniel will be a huge factor again in this race. He's close to a complete triathlete, but in particular, he swims and rides so strongly that you won't ever see a world championship level race with him on the start line where he isn't in the lead group anymore. Daniel, thanks so much for joining me. Um, how's your training been going in the lead up so far? Yeah, thanks a lot, Jack. Yeah, that was, uh, that was quite an intro. Um, you know, right now I'm in, uh, I'm in the period of time where you question everything and uh, kind of feel like you're a piece of shit. Uh, so uh, it's, it's a good thing we, we get to do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have to go into this. This is, I love this. I love a triathlete with a bit of personality because that's a rare occurrence, Daniel. Um, when you say that, you, that you're feeling like a, a piece of shit in training at the moment, what do you mean? I just think like the closer you get to uh, the closer you get to the big race day, like one of the the big biggest or, or if not the biggest event of the year, you just start to or I start to question everything I do, like in terms of um, in terms of quality and um, what I train, how I do it. Um, so yeah, it's right now. It's just very important to kind of just stick to stick to my values and. Um, and yeah, just do what I do the rest of the year. To uh, to be honest, um, I, I think every triathlete or high performer will just, you know, the closer it gets, the more you kind of uh, start looking everything through. And um, yeah, so it's just uh, it just it's just important to to enjoy that part part of the process, even though it's not always fun. So. 
in the lead up to to this year's Ironman World Championships, compared to to say your seventh place finish at last year's, or or even in your world in your lead up to the Ironman seventy point three World Championships, have things been going as good as as what they did in those races? Have they been going better? Have they been going worse? I think um, in in general things have been very well. Um, I've I've had my first kind of, uh, uh, yeah, I've had my first altitude training camp um, leading into the Collins Cup just to try it out. And that went surpri- surprisingly well. Um, and then afterwards, it's just been, I've had some weeks home, um, you know, just doing kind of the, um, the normal routine. Um, and I, I just enjoy that part of my life where I can just like plug away and do, and do the work um of course there have been some it's a it's a bit of a change here in in leading into hawaii because of the humidity Uh, we do not really get that in um in the northern part of europe so we have to kind of find other ways to simulate that uh, those conditions we will face on on race day here um so I've, i've done some heat work of course um and that's a part of training i've had to learn how to cope with you know, it puts another stress on on the system and on my body, and that that will kind of affect what kind of quality we can do. Uh, also, you know, the whole stuff around it, like monitorizing everything um, and and learning from from what we do in in training, kind of try to simulate race pace efforts and and so on. Um, and, and I really enjoy, you know, trying to. Uh, just, just trying to to be my, you know, learn how to be be on my best on race day and what what we can do to to work forward um, and move forward. So um, I, I think my preparations have been pretty well um, for this uh, for this year's Ironman World Championships. You know, um, I I've spoken a lot to uh, to guys like uh, Sevi Kinle and um, and other other guys who've who've been here a couple of times and. You know, they all, always mention how hard it is actually to be on on the start uh, start line in a decent form and a decent shape without be, being injured or, or overcooked. Um, I think I, I learned that in St George. I was a tiny bit overcooked going into um, St George because I just didn't know when to say stop. Um, and that's one part I've learned a lot from. Um, so so this year. Um, I'm not overcooked, and I think I'm in pretty good shape. Um, and then it will be it will be pretty exciting on race day. I'm going to come back to like all of this, the specifics of what training you've been doing, and the heat training, and the altitude altitude training. I want to dive deep on all of that. But uh, before that, do you have a coach at the moment? Yeah, my uh, my coach is Casper uh, Geil. He's the the former national coach um, in Denmark, and now he's just coaching me. So um, he's enjoying his life on the u- university um, and uh, spending his uh, the rest of his life on me. Basically, uh, I can be a bit difficult sometimes. So <laughs> calling him day and night and and asking for different stuff to kind of try to implement and how we can how we can do different stuff uh, in a different way so um i think he kind of he enjoys it the fact that he can he can have a job where everything is textbook and then he can he can also have me where 
a lot of the times we find out that things are not working exactly like like textbook work. So uh, I think I think that's uh, we have a pretty good relationship. So in your um, in your lead up to this year's Ironman World Championships, do you guys like have a a program that's like, hey, in an ideal world we have this ten weeks or eight weeks or twelve weeks or sixteen weeks or whatever it is where your training is laid out. Um, as like a in an ideal world this is what we do for for this long um, with like all the sessions inside of it leading into the Ironman world championships um i think i th- think the keyword there is ideal um we we do not really have that and i i think i actually think that's a, a the part i love about being coached by casper the fact that we do not he's he's pretty young i'm the only long distance athlete athlete he've ever had so therefore he he've not been through you know uh, all these years with like um okay if i do these type of sessions leading into a race then i know i'll i'm i'm doing well um i i see the good part of that but also if you if you're not well going into a world championships and you've not done those kind of sessions then that can create some kind of stress in your mind, the fact that you you're not as good as you've been before, um, and that's not really how we operate. So we look at that at how I'm feeling at the moment. Of course, we have some we have some uh, blocks where we have a certain focus, but uh, I'm a triathlete, so I of course have to work on all three disciplines um, almost equal. Um, and you know different part different years will have different kind of focus and of course we look at what i've i've done leading into other ironmans but we i, I think the the work i've done this year changed a lot from from other years because i i've just gotten better at like communicating to him what what i feel what i feel i need um what I feel is going very well and working very well. Um, and also just, uh, intensity, um, monitor, monitoring. Um, so, you know, we, we just learn a lot and of course, you know, I, of course I hope to win on, uh, you know, the, the Ironman world championships, but I also know that there's a lot of other strong competitors and what I'm really here for is to learn how to, how to cope with, with a race that is like no other. Um, of course, when when you have all the best guys in the world in at the same place, um, it's an extreme race. We have extreme conditions and everything. We, we have to learn how to race those types of championship races. And uh, that's what really gets me going. And that's also what Casper's uh, really motivated for. So uh, it's really with a growth mindset we go into this race. Um, of course, I want to de- deliver um, and and do like kind of show what we've been working on for the last uh, for the last years. But um, you know, I'm in the sport for the long haul, so uh, I'm not that stressed about having to win this year. So, with that being said, was there like a particular um, I, don't, I don't know like day or week where your training for the world championships actually began or like where it was like, okay, from this point, everything we do from here is about being fit for Kona. Um, it's been kind of on my mind through the whole year. 
um, not really a specific day, but um, of course we have some, some um, as I said before, we have some blocks where we, we kind of have different goals. Um, and, you know, we had, I think it's kind of an old school mentality that your, your whole year will be based around performing in Kona. Um, I I don't think that's how you you will be able to actually perform in Kona in a, like now or in a couple of years. You have to be good, like pretty pretty good all year round, um, because of the amounts of training you do. Um, and then of course you have to kind of try to uh, to peak in Kona. But I also have other races I want to do very well, and I'm not the type of guy that says that this is the only race that matters. Um, we have like a lot of PTO races where you want to do do well. And I also had other uh, like uh, European championships on home soil this year. It's the last time it was European championships. So I, I really wanted to win that one, um, which also meant that we, of course, in like you said, said it like ideal uh, situation, you, I would have only my eyes on, only up for Ironman World Championships, but we we did some stuff we had to do in order to be re- ready for a European Championships. And fortunately, it went very well, uh, coming away with a win. But yeah, it's not it's not like there there was one specific day or whatever. Of course, we have like longer sessions that where we target um, Ironman uh, zones uh, and so on. But we also do a lot of threshold stuff and stuff that will not normally be uh, associated with the Ironman uh, training. Um, but I think, you know, we also have to do that now because the the sport is developing very fast and, and it's, you know, what it takes to be Ironman world champion this year and moving forward is a whole other thing that it took just five years ago. Um, we have a lot of other strong athletes on, on the start line. It's not only one person who can actually win, uh, which we, we've seen before. So, uh, yeah, that's um, that's a cool part of being in a triathlete in 2022. So I love where we're going with this because you start mention that, mentioning that you do a few longer sessions and but you're still doing a lot of threshold stuff and, and the kind of training you need to do to, to be like one of the best athletes at the moment is – is is quite a high level compared to what it might have been 20 years ago for example um, and this is the stuff i love getting into is like the specific training of someone as good as you like a top 10 long course triathlete in the world and a guy who can finish on, on podiums in world championship level races what kind of what kind of stuff specifically are you guys doing in the lead up to the ironman world championships like for example what does like a a regular week in training look like you look like for you um, leading into into this year's world champs. We I have kind of the same schedule every week. Um, so yeah, if you want to just have the normal schedule, it's like Monday we we have a quality swim where it will be between three and four k's of uh, threshold work. Um, then we'll have like an easy bag ride, easy run. Um, Tuesday, uh, threshold run. So that will be between 12 and 18 Ks of like tough running. Running. Then we'll have, uh, you, know, you know, all the sessions is surrounded. It's surrounded by all the uh, easier sessions. So all the easy sessions I do is 
is to, to of course get some volume, but also get ready for uh, for the tough sessions uh, the next day or or the day. Um, Wednesday, longer bike ride. That will be with some. Typically, it will be with some either short and hard intervals. So that's between six and eight minutes, um, like sixty minutes, forty-five or sixty minutes in total um, of shorter in- intervals. Or we'll do longer intervals. So that will be more kind of a mixture of LT one and a little bit of above maybe um and and we can do those sessions is that that's very different so what, one thing i i found was that of course it's it's pretty easy to just sit on do like uh three times 20 minutes um at a certain uh wattage but now what we also need is to be able to respond to attacks we we have to respond to um to people doing searches and stuff so it's not only enough to do just set a, a pace of 320 we also need to mix that up a bit um and what we've we've found pretty um found working pretty well is to do maybe eight or nine minutes at let's say 300 watts, 320 watts, and then one or two minutes where we kind of push it a bit and then falling down on, on the normal, um, uh, yeah, like the baseline again. Um, and it's also a fun way of, of kind of, of training because it, seem, it kind of simulates uh, situations you would also find in, in a race. And that's, that's also what I like to, um, to kind of have that race um effort feel in in training as well um not only at at races because then it would only be like six or between six and ten times a year you would actually get that feeling um uh thursday it's typically hills i love running in hills and um and those sessions can vary a lot um how how they are how they are kind of built and that that really depends on on the time of year. So uh, that can be all, uh, everything from just steady two hours in the hills, or uh, like uh, ninety second uh, max efforts. Uh, that varies a lot. Uh, then Friday tough swim, uh, typically some some efforts on the bike as well. Uh, Saturday threshold or longer run. Um, that that's even that's either track or Ironman kind of intervals intensity, um, and then Sunday is of course the the long bag ride with uh, with intervals and uh, a nice coffee stop before we uh, we head home. So, how many hours per week in in general are you training? Because just listening to you say that, it sounds like you might be quite a high volume guy. Yeah. Um, that works pretty well for me with a with a higher volume. So it's typically around it's between thirty two and thirty eight hours. I think. Whew, that's um like I've talked to a lot of people about their training, and I think a common theme with with the most of the people I've talked to these days is that the volume is quite a bit lower than say like the guys I've talked to who raced 10, 15 years ago. Like to give you um, examples of that. 
the volume you're doing is the same as like what a Chris McCormack and a Craig Alexander were doing back in the day. But almost all the the sort of modern, like all the current day triathletes seem to be doing a little less like that 25 to 30 hours. But but yeah, 32 to 38 hours is like a lot of volume. But I think that's also a part why um, a lot of athletes actually struggle with keeping a high level throughout the whole year. So I, I, that's just my personal opinion. Um, like if you if you do a lot of, of volume, then you'll be you'll be ready to you your base level or your worst kind of level will be will be pretty pretty good. And if you see people who just do not do well for yeah, majority of the races and then maybe have one race where everything clicks. That's probably people who trains a bit less. Um, Cause then, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like that's, that's typically the case and you, you can see it. Um, of course, the Norwegian guys, Magnus, uh, Didlef, and uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Jan, Jan Frodeno also uh, trains a lot. And uh, it tends to be when, people like us hit the start line it's even on a bad day we can we can do pretty well so with that with that week as you laid out you sort of had like a long ride on a wednesday with with efforts and then um, another long ride on on sunday with efforts when you say long um with like with you doing you know mid 30 to high 30 hour per week how long do you actually mean for those rides um, not that long, to be honest. I've, uh, the longest ride I've done this year is probably f- five hours, maybe a bit more. Uh, so typically it's like between four and five hours. And then do, do you, like is, with that volume being so high, how much of that is your cycling? Like usually with, with high volume guys, it's um, like a lot of it has to be made up with their bike riding. So like how many hours a, a week would you generally spend on the bike? Uh, typically between 20 and 24 hours. Yeah. Jesus. That's so much. That's, that's the amount that a lot of people train across all three, isn't it? Yeah. But I just love riding my bike. So (laughs) I don't mind. Is the reason that you're like a high volume guy, is it, is it what you said before? Like your own experience tells you that, that that's when you're like at your fittest and, and can stay consistent or did the idea to be like that come from like other people? Like, is it, is it part of your coach's idea? Is it partly what you're seeing other guys doing? So you go and try it and, and see that it works for you. How does it, how do you develop from, like, how do you make the decision to go? Yep. I'm a high volume guy. Um, I don't really make the decision. Uh, I just, it comes from years of trying different stuff out. I think Uh, we, we just saw, the increase in level when I started to work a lot, uh, going from 22 hours to 30 hours. Um, and the key there was just intensity um, um, control and making sure that I could actually perform at, at the intensity, like at the high intensity um, sessions I did. Um, so in general, it was actually just from like, the idea of uh, that you cannot really it's, it's it's an endurance sport so of course you have to do a lot of endurance work um and yeah we just found out that it actually worked um uh, for me to do a lot of hours um i don't think it was like there was not a moment where we sat down and said like this is what we want to do 
Uh, I think it's just from a lot of weeks we've found out that, you know, uh, volume just works for me and yeah. Do you ever have days where um, you have like full days off or like are you always doing something to like to, to consistently get that much volume every week? Do you just like have easier days that, you know, you, you don't really have much intensity but it's all like easy volume? Yeah, some days I have just an easy volume day. Um, I think it's like I, I never have days without training. That's only if it's like massive travel travel days. Um, I um, normally it's it's like once one day uh, a week I'll have I'll have a day with like maybe big volume or moderate volume and then just easy on all across all uh, three disciplines. Um, uh, sometimes that also works well uh, for the next day coming in. If I have like a, a big session the day after, uh, I tend to do pretty well if I have had like a, bi- a bigger volume day. Um, so of course, if if I've had, in, in especially in my long weeks of running, I, I feel like I need one day where I can just like, do easy work or or steady steady work, and then uh, that it's a good way to just like uh, bounce back or make sure that I will not burn out or anything. Speaking of your running, with your with your riding there, like you mentioned that on Wednesday and Sat and Sunday you do long rides. Um, you didn't necessarily mention that you did a long run, like you said that that Thursday run can be like a two hour run through the hills, but you didn't specifically say, Oh, that's my long run day. And, and you said that the Tuesday can, can, can have like 12 to 18 K's worth of, worth of like, um, threshold work in, in it. Do you, do you consider any of your days to be the day where you do a long run or do you just get volume inside of, inside of session days on runs? I, I, I never really do like specific long runs or just long runs in general. Uh, I think the longest run I've had, I have had a run of like 30 kilometers uh, or three runs or so, but that's more like a, if we, if we feel like I need that kind of Ironman pace efforts, um, normally like in normal weeks, I'll just get the, the total volume of uh, easy running and, and the specific sessions. Cause you know, if we do track workouts, typically it's like 23, uh, 24 kilometers. And, you know, the, it just adds, adds up. If you have three sessions a week with um, like h- harder sessions in like with a uh, total of 24 kilometers, then, you know, you have all the easy runs, um, you know, besides of that and it adds, adds up. So we are kind of, we are, we are more working towards uh, just getting the volume in um not doing longer runs but just doing uh a lot a lot of of running uh, if that makes sense yeah it, it does read that read that track like session that you are doing daniel where it, like it's getting up towards like the mid 20 kilometers worth of volume at the track what might those sessions actually look like like it, i just i just i assume that there's not like a heap of really fast running in it like it's hard to get you know, 24, 25 Ks worth of running if you're doing like fast 200. So how do those sessions like actually look structure-wise? No, I, I've actually never, uh, the last years I've, I haven't done under 1K reps. Um, 
So normally it's just like uh, if we say 12 kilometers, uh, we go from maybe 315, 320, and then down to yeah, three flat pace. Uh, so we always start like a bit uh, slower and then build into the session like the last four four six k's are like I would call it really fast. Of course, some of the IGU guys would disagree, but um, but like making sure that I can actually uh, have I make sure that I have the proper one run form and also the fact that I can just you know um, keep the intensity and keep the the quality in the sessions for the whole session. And and with your other running, so you're obviously doing like you're clearly doing quite a bit of quality work in your running, like like you've talked about. When you go and do like a a two hour run through the hills, um, not with any hill reps, it's just, you know, two hours through the hills or or when you do your your runs throughout the week that that don't have quality in them. Are you a guy who like jogs along pretty slowly or are you a guy who who's like jogging paces is, is quite fast still? I'm jogging pretty slowly. So, you know, it's, I, I think what, what just worked for me is like not really looking at when I have sessions of just uh, cru- cruising along the hills, it's, it's, uh, it, it doesn't really work for me to look at the pace. It just, I look at heart rate and go by feel and that, uh, that, that tends to work for me. So, um, you know, I would just get stressed if I had to look at the pace all the time. Um, uh, I'll just yeah listen to, to to my body and and you know I I know I know what kind of work I or, or what what the work actually d- uh, does to me so you know it's just by yeah going by feel and then like I think something I'm particularly interested in is the the difference in your training when you're training for say like a a seventy point three world champs or an Ironman world championships. Does it vary that much? Like, has your lead up to say the seventy point three world champs last year versus the Ironman world champs this year changed much? Do you do are your sessions looking like quite different, or do you use the same? Because you're a really high volume guy, does your training week actually look pretty similar, even even when you're you're doing double the race distance? Uh, of course, we um, we mix it up a bit on with intensity, so. Um, the sessions might get a little bit longer. Um, the intervals will be a little bit longer and then also lower intensity on, on the longer rides. Um, but we still keep kind of uh, pretty solid efforts on both the, yeah, across all three disciplines. Um, so it's not, that, it's not that the weeks look that much different. Maybe we tweak some workouts, but that's also, that's it. And with your... With your like Ironman specific stuff leading into this year's Ironman World Championships, can you sort of give me an idea about like a have you done any like really key uh, bike workouts and run workouts like that that like incorporate quite a little a bit of um, Ironman specific pace work and and if you have, what have those sessions actually looked like? Um, I, I don't think I've had like a specific ses- session. We do some like nine, 90 minutes in total or I've had once, I think one, one session I did on the bike was like um, two, yeah, in total it was like one hour and 40 at higher than uh, around 70.3 pace and higher. 
um, but then with like a, a lot of um, spinning in between the intervals. So we would kind of, it was a four, five hours, five hour ride and we'll, we would do intervals in like the whole five hours, if that makes sense. Um, I think that was one specific workout, but other than that, I can't really remember. Uh, yeah. What about on the run? Have you done, have you done things that are like long periods of time running at, at what you think might be goal Ironman pace? Yeah, like three, three times 30 minutes. That's kind of a common session um, at Ironman pace or faster. Do you ever do them as brick sessions? Like, do you, you didn't say any, any brick sessions in your like general week. Do you, do you not use bricks? Um, sometimes I do, but normally it's like coming off a hard bike ride and then do an easy jog. Um, that tends to work for me. Uh, and then sometimes I do, I've done a couple of times where the three times 30 minutes would be just after, uh, an hour on the turbo or so. Um, but not like long break sessions. I, I don't, yeah, we haven't really done much of those. And speaking of the turbo, like something, something else I'm really interested in with, with how triathlon seems to be going at the moment. Do you do much of your riding inside? Like, do you do, do you spend a lot of time on, on your kicker or whatever you might have, or are you a guy who does most of his training outdoors on the bike? I, I love Swift. Uh, so I'll, I spend quite a, quite some time on, uh, on Swift. Um, you know, being from the Northern hemisphere, we kind of have to uh, stay indoors for majority of the year. So that's one part. And then also I, I like this like specific work and, it's just it's nice riding uh you you get kind of uh, that strong uh pedal pedaling style uh i i believe and i think it's just good for travel um yeah even though my cycling friends make fun of me all the time but uh, i have to uh, live with that when you're doing a zwift workout i've never actually asked a, a professional triathlete this question when you're like, say your coach prescribes you a session that, that might be, I don't know, whatever it is, five by eight minutes or whatever, it's irrelevant. Do you go into Zwift and like have that made as a workout that it might be like, whatever you might do your five by eight minutes at 350 Watts. And do you have that set on erg mode so that the, the, like the, the kicker takes care of your power or do you not have it set like that so that you have to generate your own power? It's actually, that's kind of 50, 50, 50. Um, I've done that. I've started to do it more. Um, in the beginning, I felt like uh, this response from the kicker was not, did not really feel like actual riding. Um, but then I started to do it on uh, lower, uh, like lower intensity intervals. And that kind of worked for me, the transition going from the, the kicker with the erg mode um and then going out um doing intervals um afterwards not not on on that day but like um the next ride session that would kind of benefit my riding so i've started to do it more but it also it depends on you know it, it depends on the the week uh in total of you know how i feel on the day um but normally i do majority of my my riding on in the swift workouts because i just feel if it feels nice to have it's it looks clean and it feels nice to have it uh, yeah put out in front of you 
because I was having this conversation the other day as to if you are riding in erg mode all the time, like say you're doing your specific time trial efforts on, on the, on the erg mode all the time, whether it then becomes harder to push your own power outside. Like you, you certainly, I think the consensus seems to be that say if you could hold like, like that same session I said before, six times eight minutes at 350 Watts on erg mode, that holding six by eight minutes at 350 watts outside seems a lot harder. Do you find that, that the, it doesn't really exactly transfer? No, no, I feel the complete opposite. I, I feel like it's way harder to actually ride in erg mode. Uh, but in, in general, I'm actually, uh, I can't really pr- produce power on a, on a trainer um, compared to the outside. So on that one, I might be the, the wrong guy to, to ask, but I feel like the the muscular impact uh, erg mode have on the body it's it's like it's pretty easy to transfer that to uh, to riding outside and like i think something that i've noticed about you particularly in the last 12 months you've always been like you've been a pretty complete triathlete for a long time you don't really have any weaknesses i think when people look at you it's like say for example someone might look at Andrew Starkovitz, and it's like, well, he's a good cyclist. He's an okay swimmer. He's an okay run, like he's not a very good runner for professional triathlete standards, but he's a very good cyclist. Where I reckon you could talk to 10 different people about you, and one person might say, oh, he's a really good swimmer. And then the other might say, no, he's a really strong cyclist. And then the other might say, what? He's a runner. You're one of those guys where you don't really have a weakness. And on your day, you're like one of the best in the world across all three disciplines. Is that something like, have you always had that balance in your in your triathlon racing or does your training reflect a weakness that you think you've had or have you had big periods where you didn't think you were as strong a cyclist so you've done a lot more in that? Like is, for example, is that where doing 24 hours a week came from and, and is that what's made you such a good cyclist? Or yeah, can you tell me whether that's always been the case or whether you've had to shape your training to, to fix a weakness that maybe I don't see? Actually, it's pretty annoying uh, to be a complete athlete because I never get mentioned in anything because <laughs> I'm not the best in any of the sports. So therefore, you know, it's always the best swimmer, the best cyclist and the best runner that will be mentioned. And I'm, not, I'm none of those. I'm a, I'm a triathlete. So, uh, you know, it's I, I think it comes back to my communication with my coach, the fact that um we always work on being the best triathlete and of course there's periods where I feel like I'm missing something on the bike. Um, actually one good example of that is, uh, I won, uh, Ironman 7.3 Dubai in 2021. And I felt like I needed some stuff on the bike there to feel like it, w- it would be sufficient or good enough. Um, and we went back and did some, specific work um like put emphasis on the bike work we uh, i had to do in that period of time after after the 7.3 uh, dubai and um yeah i think my my main motivation is actually just to be able to win uh the races i enter no matter what uh, kind of um situation i'm in so if uh yeah if i if i have to go out and just do it all from the front. That's good. And if I, uh, 
if I get caught by uh, yeah at uh, 10 kilometers in by uh, Sam Long or something, then uh, I also want to be able to win in that position. So uh, yeah, I think that's that's the main uh, factor. You know how the the PTO does those like. I don't even know what to call them. It's like ratings for your swim, bike, and run, and it's done in like a percentage. And um, yeah, that's like that's the worst kind of bullshit you'll ever find out there. Yeah, it is. I I agree. Like, it's it, let's not get into that. That's a whole. We could talk about that for an hour. <laughs> we could talk about anyway. But yours, they've got yours as ninety five percent for the swim, ninety six percent for the ride, and ninety four percent for the for the run. And you're of everyone in the world, like yours are the highest across all three, including guys like Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden and Magnus Ditliv and Alistair Brownlee. Yeah. Like yours are yours are like higher in the nineties as a three than than every single other triathlete in the world. Like oh, then it's not bullshit. Then it's completely true. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they've still got some higher than you. Like some of them yeah. have a hundred percent. But yeah, it's sort of. I agree. It's. It's a bit of a bullshit arbitrary doesn't mean anything like rating system. But what it definitely does prove is that you are almost like weakness free in triathlon. And and what you're saying is true, that you're not the best in the world at, at any of the three disciplines, but you're probably top ten across all three. Yeah, that the that might that might be. I've never actually thought of it like uh comparing myself in in only the disciplines um to other guys i think yeah top 10 might be a stretch but because there's a lot of strong guys in the individual uh, like uh sports but yeah i think when you put up, put all three together i might be uh, pretty decent well let's talk about that like if there was a race right let's let's go ironman distance so Let's say there was a 4K swim race of everyone who who's on the start line at the Ironman World Championships. You couldn't draft off each other. It was just a or, or even if you could, let's say it was just that swim and it was first to the first to the shore wins. Where do you reckon you would come in that? Uh I think third or fourth maybe. Yeah, well that's easily top 10 and and that's not even your highest rate of one. That's your bike at 96%. Where do you reckon you would come if if you guys did a 180k time trial race, yeah, so that's that's where I'm. I'm not. I'm actually not quite sure. Um, you know what I discovered when I raced Hawaii 2019 was the fact that there's a lot of guys who are pretty weak on the bike and just sit in the bus. So I feel like that's that's um, it's difficult to to say because there there might be you know a guy like Cam Worth and and Lionel Sanders who without question are stronger on the bike uh, than I am um pull but they will probably pull somebody along like uh, Christian or whatever who are just racing smarter and maybe it just turns out that Christian would actually be faster than me on the bike I don't think so but you know you you never really know because dynamics what we see is most of the time not really what what you know the true potential of the true level of the of the specific athlete, but I think you know it could be top ten. Uh, I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure. I haven't I haven't gone and looked, but I'm pretty sure there's only five or six guys that have a higher bike rating than you in the world, which is pretty insane. Yeah, but I, I don't. That's that's where I feel like um, with all the different you know all the different kind of um, for dynamics in the races. That's where it's 
it is a bit difficult to say because you you'll have a race like um you know we when i come out of the water of course i can i can make the decision of going hard on the bike and just you know really invest on the bike i can also because you know maybe i i just we did that in Tulsa for for Anangat and and me we decided before the race that we would just go hard on the bike uh, just to make sure that they would they would have to work in the in the group behind uh, because that would be guys like uh, Sam Long, um, Joe Skipper, and Christian Hugenhauk, who are very strong on the bike. Um, and and that, at that point, that that tactic worked perfectly because we, you know, we they did not catch us and they did not get any time. Um, I think we actually gained some time on on the guys. Um, unfortunately, we would just have. Uh, Patrick Lange uh, sit, sit, sitting behind us. Um, so you know, you you don't you don't always see the true level or the true um, strength of the certain of, of the specific athlete because uh, some different kind of tactics will will play in on race day. It's funny you mentioned that race because I actually went and looked at the the ratings of those guys based off that race. That is like such a, a weird coincidence because I was like, I wonder where it, I don't know. I just went down, you know how like on Instagram or whatever you can go down like rabbit holes where you watch one like video and then before you know it, you're watching like, I don't know, a, like a gorilla running around a zoo enclosure and you're like, how did I get here? I did that. I did that same thing with with your ratings when I was having a look in the in the lead up to the show and you're you're higher rated than than Hugenhaug and Skipper by a bit, but you're one point behind Florian Angert, which I found really interesting. Um, but but anyway, with the what about with the marathon? If you if you just had a, had to start a marathon with with everyone in in long course triathlon, where do you reckon you'd come? Oh. Uh so that's that's kind of my um that's a good and bad thing for me that i think i i'll not run a lot faster on uh just a normal marathon than what i would do off bike that's what i feel on the 70.3 at least uh, i don't think i'll run that much faster um so probably on a you know on with fr- fresh legs i'd hope to 10 i'm not sure um but yeah you know that that doesn't really matter in triathlon you have to run off uh, tired legs and i think i'm i hope i'm one of the best in the sport and in in that certain uh, area and then going back to circling right back to the the start of our chat when you started talking about about the heat work you've been doing and i said i was going to come back to it what kind of stuff have you been doing um cuz like you've been to to kona before but I would say this is the first year where I look at you and go, well, I'll be surprised if Daniel doesn't finish close to the podium. And if he doesn't, it means he's blown up because he's been at the front of the race for six hours. Um, where, what kind of stuff have you been doing specifically to prepare for the conditions, the heat, the wind, the the way the race might play out in terms of, of dynamics and, and, and how have you worked all of that into your training? Um two of, of those pointers i've done on uh, swift you know it's a, it's a great way of uh, getting a, a solid sweat in uh so you know just riding a lot without any event you know um jets pointing at you um you start to sweat a lot and the cold tem- temperature will also rise um and then i'm fortunate to live in denmark where we have a lot of winds uh so that's kind of 
a normal day of uh, of training is uh, battling the the conditions um you know we all always have strong uh, winds so um that's that's kind of a natural and is that all you do like is the only heat prep you do when you're on the bike inside or do you do other things like have you been doing saunas or having hot baths before or after training and do you go out and run in like layers of clothing or or make sure that you're doing like some of your running in the heat of the day? Yeah, I've done all of those. I think uh, it's kind of a, the social element uh, in my training group is, uh, is sauna Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Um, so that's, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it sessions, but, but uh, it's, you know, just sitting, uh, enjoying some, some time with the boys. That's, uh, that's pretty nice in the sauna. Um, and then, yeah, basically I've done, I've done everything, putting on a bit more clothes than, uh, than necessary for the runs and making smart decisions. And then with the, with, with the other element that I mentioned there, the race dynamics, have you shaped any of your training with how you think the, the race might play out? Like to, to sort of give you an example of what I'm thinking, what I'm thinking is that we saw what happened at St. George um, in last year's Ironman World Championships where you were part of a, a really select swim group that was six people that got cut down to five people and you guys stayed away as, as a lead group of five on the bike and were, were leading into T2 onto the run. Do you look at, like, do you ever think about how you think the race might play out, whether it's just like one scenario or a few scenarios and, and you shape any of your training based on that? Um, not really. I feel like the training of race dynamic wise, the training I've done is racing. So, um, I, I've, I think 70.3 to Ironman, there's not a big change of the decision you have, the decisions you have to make on the go. And that's also what, what will, uh, be the best end results. Uh, the fact that you know what kind of decisions you have to make when. Um, and then stick to our values and stick to uh, stick to the the plan you've made. Um, and uh, with that being said, you of course you also have to like, kind of change the the plans on the go if if something unexpected unexpected happens. Um, they tend to do so. You know, yeah. If if it, it wouldn't be a race if everybody's plan went uh, went to. Uh, perfection uh so uh, I, i've not done like i've not shaped anything around it i've just made sure that i'm i feel like i'm ready for all kinds of uh you know scenarios will will be faced with and then on to race dynamics and and i guess just the race itself do you do you think about how like when you're when you're training or just in your day-to-day life do you do you ever think about like who your competition is and and like what they might be doing or wonder what training they're doing or seek out what training they're doing to sort of compare yourself to them or do you think about like you know the Norwegians or Magnus Ditlev or whoever it is and 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 think about like how they might how they might be going to race and and you know like think about how do you beat those guys do you do you think about the race like that at all um yeah in in some ways i do because it's like of course we look at results and we look at the races my competitive competitors have done and kind of read off those results and 
in what way I can race. Uh, so kind of learn, learn how to, of course, how to beat those guys. Um, but it's not like, I don't look that much into training details and, you know, I just, just try to stick, stick in my, st- stick to my lane and do what I feel like I have to do in order to be on the top for, for race day. Uh, with that being said, I've, I've had many chats with, uh, with um, Magnus about how they do and how, you know, so we kind of share knowledge and, and what, what we've tried out and, you know, what works for us and what does not work for us. I think just today I uh, I did a longer run session or like 60 minutes uh, on and above race pace uh, on the run. And, uh, you know, it, it was kind of fun because Magnus is one of my biggest competitors, but at the same time he asked me how it went and I was like brutally honest. <laughs> uh because it didn't really go as I expected it to to so you know normally I think I think normally you would just you know be proud and say like no everything went perfect even though they they didn't uh but I don't really feel like I you know need to um especially to Magnus so um you know it's I don't feel like I don't feel like I it would it would only create some kind of stress if I always felt uh, behind um it would it would make make me not trust the process and trust what we are doing and I I actually do trust what what my coach says and what we figure out is the best way so uh yeah I I'll keep doing that and on this I think I can't not ask about this with you finishing third at the 70.3 World Championships and, you know, getting beaten by five minutes by Gustav Eden in like an alien performance and then coming seventh at the Ironman World Championships, which we've already talked about, your your day was much better than, than a seventh place finish. It just, you know, it, it, if, if you actually watch that race versus if you just read it on paper, I think you look at your race two vastly different ways and, and Christian Blumenfeld won that race. Like in, he didn't win it easily, but like, he he dominated that race in the end. Do you look at those two who are like the very big, clear favourites without Jan being there on the start line? And do you look at it as like, if those two guys have the perfect day, I can't beat them? Or do you look at it as like ways to beat them? And and do you, like, do you see them as, as almost like inhuman, unbeatable if they have their days, I guess is what I'm asking? I'm not at all. Uh, I think we saw in St. George that Christian is not unbeatable for sure. Um, you know, he lost time on the bike and he could he could do that because he kind of had that safety net he had in uh, in Cameron Worth. And you know, I I think if he if he would lose that amount of time here, he'll be pretty fucked. Um, I think he upped his game on the swim going into uh, Hawaii. Um, so it will be difficult to drop him, but if they have their perfect day, I think they're, they they will be pretty difficult to beat. Um, but we're here to make sure they will not have the perfect day. So, uh, you know, I think every, anything can happen. And um, of course, they'll be difficult to, to beat. But if I have a, if I have a, uh, you know, if I if I can control or if I do control the things I can control, 
um, and and do a, like deliver a strong performance, I feel like I it's not impossible to beat them for sure. And which one of those two do you look at as the better chance to win the Ironman World Championships? Uh, Gustav, I think. Um, he'll probably lose a bit more on the swim, but I, I feel like he's he's just he's better on the longer distances than Christian, maybe. I'm not sure if that's true, but I have that feeling. Um, and uh, part of that is also because everybody else is saying that. So yeah, it'll be it'll be exciting to see. And and with that race that you were a part of, that you came third at the the Ironman 70.3 World Championships, I. I've I've talked to a few people who who were in that group as well, like Magnus being being one of them. What was what was going through your head when you guys got overtaken by by Gustav on the bike, and and then before you knew it, he was up the road and away, and no one could ride with him. Like Frederick Funk couldn't ride with him, uh, Magnus Ditlev couldn't ride with him. These are probably the two best cyclists uh, over the seventy point three distance this year. He just like literally blew their blew their front wheel away, like. What did you think when, when he did that? And why I'm asking that is, do you see that same thing potentially happening in Kona? Because it's like a, it's not a similar course, but it's the same kind of thing where there's like longish uphills with longish downhills. Is it possible that, that he does the same thing and catches that front group and then just goes to the front and, and no one can ride with him? I think one, one big strength Gustav have is uh, the, uh, it's like, um, his tactical brain or the, the nose for it. Um, so I, to, to be honest, I think like uh, Funk and Magnus rode with their head up their asses because they have a world, uh, yeah, defending world champion on the wheel and they then they decide to ride him up the to the front group. And um, Funk, I think he DNF'd afterwards because he overbiked um, and, and Magnus came what, eighth or so. And I think Magnus... You know, he he did a pretty good race in his um, like he got the maximal ma- maximum out of his race. So not that he rode um, rode in a bad way, but I felt like it, it's just unnecessary to to bring him up him up the road. He you would never see that in cycling, for example. Um, so I think that was Gustav was a bit lucky that they they took so much responsibility. And then uh, I, I didn't really see that much. Um, I think Gustav attacked just, uh, you know, uh, two minutes after I lost my chain. Um, so that was how I saw they they came by. And then I was just chasing afterwards. And that's, uh, so that was the point of view I saw. Um, but I think, you know, the way he rode up that canyon, uh, the snow canyon, that was, uh, that was very impressive. And I, uh, and of course, if if he, he if he goes into T T two in first place over the half distance, you know, it's just he's just difficult to beat. Um, the way he runs is just, uh, especially off a hard bike, is is um, top level. And um, you know, that's you know, it, it's it's the kind of races I wanted to want want to put together as well. So. I just, it's a huge inspiration and it's also um, a huge motivational boost. And then um, speaking of, of running out of T2, super shoes. This is something I've wanted to ask you personally for ages, actually, because 
I've sort of followed your career a little bit and, and I, I, a, do you have a footwear sponsor? Because for, for most of the time you've been racing since super shoes came out, you've been wearing Nike super shoes, but I wasn't aware. I didn't know whether you're actually sponsored by them or not. And the, the big question I have is you've raced in the alpha fly. You've raced in the vapor fly. You seem to go between the two a lot. I want to know which one you're going to race Kona in, if it is one of those two, and why you race sometimes in the Vaporfly, why you race sometimes in the Alpha Fly. Where, where, like, is do you have a favourite? Are you still struggling to figure out which one you like the most, and that's why you rotate between the two in races so often? Um, it's been, um, yeah, I've. So first of all, I, I'm not sponsored by Nike, but I've been run, running in Nike since. Um, 2019 and i've not been injured so that's why i i just love the shoes and the feel so um and i i also trust that they have some pretty good shoes out there um one of the best if not the best so um you know i've done some we've we've done some testing in the lab on on what what shoes would be the best for me and it was also it was compared to the Asics and the Adidas and it was the Nikes I felt felt best running in. But you know if I if I did a lot of sessions in the Asics, then my I would probably get used to running in the Asics. So I would also you know get the benefit out of out of those. Um, I think that's that's one big thing people are not really looking at. So um, last year I did I, I've been altering a bit between the two shoes the next percent and um and the alpha flies and it's it's difficult to f- to kind of find the perfect shoe for me uh i like them both and it's you know in i i often do interval sessions or, or long runs in, in the shoes because i just i feel like it's they are softer to the to the legs so i can you know do more intensity work and i can i can handle higher mileage um here in hawaii i'll run in the next percent uh because i feel like i've done almost all my sessions the last uh half a year in next percents and i just i like the feel um so it's more from a you know technical standpoint right now ideally i actually wanted to run in the alpha flyers i just haven't done enough sessions in the new alpha flyers to do it um and and that's that's the main point you have to get used to kind of it's it's the same with saddle position you know you have to be able you have to get used to do the the sessions and and do the um the training in the shoes before you can actually perform well wearing the shoes um last time i did an ironman in the um alpha flies was in in tulsa and i felt like they were a bit difficult to handle the last 10 kilometers where things start to wobble and yeah that's why i feel like right now how my running form is and how things are going it's the next percent are just a bit easier to to handle when you come you know when you go over the 30 kilometer mark um and that's where the race starts so it's pretty important to uh, to be able to keep a proper run form and then my next question i'd like it's a bit weird i feel weird asking this question but i i i thought of this question i don't ever like 
pre-prepare questions. Like I don't have like a dot point like thing sitting next to me with questions. I sort of just roll as I go and back my back my you know following of the sport to know enough to to ask questions. But for one of the first times ever, I think this might be the second time ever I've had a, a question pre-planned, and it was I was talking to Mikael Eden. I did a I recorded a podcast with with Mikael. And we were talking about body image in triathlon and specifically we were talking about, you know, people calling um, Christian Blumenfeld fat and like that being a thing in triathlon at the moment. Like people look at him and they go, God, he's good for a chubby guy or like they say, how is he so good when he's so fat? Like that's just become part of triathlon sort of um, conversation at the moment. And I won't get into into that with you, but it made me think because I knew I had this conversation with you coming up it made me think about that thing that happens when you're maybe new to triathlon or like I, I personally know that it, it sort of it sort of happened for me and and I know it happens for a lot of people when you're in triathlon even even when you've been in it for ages and you go into like a race and you look around you in transition or you know the few days before the race when you're racking your bike or going for a swim or going for a run and there's like so many people around you who have like these like super lean skinny triathlon bodies and you start comparing yourself to those people and and it's been a common conversation I've had on this podcast where you know when when body image is concerned and and you like compare yourself to that person you go oh there's no way I could beat that person they're so like look how skinny they are or and then you start doing that thing where you're like oh I'm not I'm not skinny enough or or whatever it is or I'm 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 too out of shape and I wanted to ask you this question because you are that guy who has like the perfect triathlon body, like super lean, super skinny, it's always like tanned, you know, every single day of the year. So you're the kind of guy that people would look at in transition and be like, oh, I'm no, I, there's no way I could beat that guy. Look how he looks. You're kidding. That, without question. And, and anyone who doesn't know, everyone who listens probably knows what Daniel looks at, but looks like. But go look at his Instagram. He's like, he's the, the perfect triathlon body. Do you think about that kind of thing? It's a, it's a long convoluted way to ask you, do you care about your diet? Do you care about your weight? Do you think about what you look like? And, and are you weighing yourself constantly? Are you one of those guys? Um, I think uh, first, uh, first of all, uh, it's the first time I've actually got, gotten that question. Um, it comes from, um, I'm a fairly big guy. So of course of that, um, I look at guys like Jan Fodeno and, uh, yeah, actually like Jan Fodeno, um, and thinking like, oh, fuck, I'm never going to be as lean as, as he is, um, and have a small legs and all that shit. Um, I started looking at Bradley Wiggins as well, actually, um, because coming from a swimming background, I've, uh, I've had a pretty, uh, solid upper body before, and he lost a lot of weight going into, uh, winning the tour in 2012. And when I just started triathlon, I thought like, I, I have to be able to do it like he did, but, um, Casper was very good at, at make, making me realize that, you know, I, there was probably something else that he was doing on the side that helped me help him lose uh, that kind of race, uh, that kind of weight. So, um, of course I, 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 I never weigh myself, um, or very rarely. 
I do not really weigh my food or count calories or anything. Uh, what I do is I want to get the best out of my training sessions and I fuel to perform my training sessions. And, you know, I have a Red Bull uh, dietitian who, or dietitian who helped me like put up my, um, like w- what would be the, like just educating me in what to eat going into sessions, what to eat uh, during the sessions and after the sessions. And after I've started doing that, I've had way better results in training sessions. Um, and just like using my logical sense, uh, getting those small pointers on like what to eat when. Um, and I like uh, going into world championships, I still look in the mirror and think like, oh, fuck, I'm not in shape. Even though I can see, I, I thought that in St. George, I thought I was uh you know don't mistake me but i thought i was like overweight <laughs> what, what, overweight in terms of like what i would ideally want to weight uh, weigh uh, on race day um i thought that and um it's you know looking back now i can see on pictures i was like yeah toothpicks uh so you know it's i know now i know it's like it's always thoughts that will come back, especially when I'm under pressure. Um, but at the same time, it's, uh, I, I know I'm in peak shape and I know that now I know that it's not something I have to worry about. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just, it's a bad thing for the sport actually that I think it was a very good thing that Christian won uh, actually in St. George. And I think it's a very bad thing for the sport that people actually judge him the way they do. Because uh, it's just, a th- it's a sick mentality. Um, and it's very unhealthy to actually live by that kind of constant stress about losing weight. And I, I've experienced that on my own. And it's it's just not a cool place to be. Because then you'll also make the, the, the unhealthy choices, the... Uh, that will not help you in training sessions and will not help you on the long run where like if you get educated in what to eat and how to eat it, um, when to eat, like all those small things, they, that can make a huge impact. And all of a sudden I learned to be like happy. Uh, I learned to, for the first time I, I could actually go down in the buffet and not like having cold sweats about what to eat and, and how much to eat. Cause uh, Steven, he told me like how to approach it. Um, and it's not by eating nothing <laughs> and kind of punish yourself. Uh, so, you know, it's just about eating the right food at the right time. Um, and that that's one thing I'm so grateful for. So I have people around me who can help me with stuff I'm actually struggling with. And, um, you know, another thing is to be honest about it. I know Kat Matthews have also been pretty open about um, dealing with body image in triathlon. And it's it's a very important thing that we have to talk about for the future generations coming up. And, you know, um, I, I think, I, I don't think there's some, a lot of athletes who have not questioned their own weight going into uh, going into a, a championship or a race or whatever. Um, I think it's pretty common. People just have to uh, have to be honest about uh, actually thinking that. 
and you said that that you know that Red Bull dietitian helped you helped you realize when to eat things and why and gave you a little bit more like what sounded like food freedom I, I would for lack of a better term he he opened your eyes to the fact that you can eat and that eating is not only something that you can do but something you should do at certain times and 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 that's like a I think that's a really important point what kind of things specifically did did he tell you like what what things have you like implemented into your own diet now that that came from that conversation in general it was just how to make it easy to understand how to eat so the fact that you know um easy um easy uh, managing the the load easy and kind of uh, just understanding uh uh you know tomorrow i have a long run session in the morning uh with a lot of intervals and stuff so i have to actually be able to uh, you know um get some kind of um carb source if that's rice or pasta whatever like how much do i need how much is like um a good amount um and will get me through the session um and if you have weeks of doing that well um maybe not perfect or probably not perfect but if you have if you just do it well then you'll also you'll you'll get fitter you'll get the results and training you you wish for and you know all those kind of um long-term um things or approaches to uh, to training and to 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 diet and everything that was that was a big thing he kind of opened up for me um another thing is like how important it is to fuel the sessions um that seems easy but uh it's not been easy for me uh you know being um you know studying at uni and not having that much money i didn't really uh, have uh no energy you know um gels or, or energy powder or whatever so it would just be on water everything i did and maybe a banana if i was lucky so you know coming from that kind of uh struggle economically and and all unhealthy um surrounding where the consensus was like eating is cheating um that was it was difficult actually to start uh to start fueling the sessions and you know then i felt kind of the the power behind it you know um what it can actually do to fuel the sessions and since that i've ne- never really really looked looked back and you know it's just so everything is just you know getting the knowledge and understanding how to do it um and i think that's if you can make that step that's a pretty big step to do um and then it's not actually not that hard to just keep doing um and it's not about doing things perfect it's just about doing it uh you know right (laughs) And then my last question for you, Daniel, is just something that you brought up earlier and I, I have to talk about. It's Brad Wiggins. So that 2012 or 2011, 2012 Brad Wiggins, I reckon to every guy around our age who follows these sports, that Brad, Brad Wiggins, for some reason, he like draws you in. You like look at him and he just looks so good on the bike. He's so skinny, like he's so lean. Like so many guys who are in into cycling and triathlon 
and like who who were following the sport at that time, they just like they just love him. Like he's their favorite cyclist ever, and it was all based on how he looked and and how fit he was. And and you said the same thing. You sort of looked at him and were like, oh, you know, I want to do I want to do that. I want to look like that. Uh, and then and then you mentioned that that your coach made you think about well, he was probably or you know, a high likelihood that he was doping to, to, to get that body with all the training he was doing. And it, and it made me think about doping and, and, and triathlon. Um, do you think that, that anyone you're racing against or do you think that the sport at the professional level at the moment has much, if any, doping in it? Like, have you ever heard stories? Have you ever heard rumours of, is it something that the professionals talk about amongst each other and speculate about? Um, very little. Um, I actually got I got asked a question uh, last time I was on Hawaii, and I thought like, if if some of the pros or if the pros are doping, then they do a pretty shitty job, because <laughs> I didn't really feel like apart from Jan Fodeno that day I didn't really feel like there was any of the guys I couldn't beat. Um, so I think. Of course, you you should never say never, but I, I don't I don't think there's that that much doping, if any doping, in triathlon. Because um, yeah, first of all, I couldn't really see who I would think should do it, um, and also I th- I think actually it's such a new sport. We have we do not really have that culture like other sports uh, have. So therefore, it's you know. We do not have those sports directors who've been doping themselves and the coaches who've done it themselves. Uh, we only like, you know, I think most of the coaches actually and who are coaching the the top ten of the world championships, most of them uh, have come into the sport for the last like five or ten years, um, and I think that that makes a huge impact on on it not being uh, prone to doping. And then also, the, you know, the money situation is not, before PGO, it was not that great. So um, I think that that kind of helps it. And, uh, and then just, uh, just a, a one quick question about, about the world championships. Hypothetically, if you win the world championships, let's say you win it, or or let's say you get a result that is like exceeds all of your own expectations. I don't know what that is for you. It might be coming second in a, you know, an Iron War style battle with a Gustav Eden, for example, or or winning the race in you know by ten minutes. Whatever it is, like you have this this day and this performance that just it, it just goes above and beyond everything you thought possible. And 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 you know, um, if you do that. What would we find Daniel Backengard doing with his time afterwards? Are you the kind of guy who would like go on a, a week long bender and no one would see or hear from you? Are, you? are you the kind of guy who would just like move on from that pretty quickly and get back into training and get back into to living that sort of monk like triathlon life? Or you know what would ha- what would happen in your life if if you if you have that day in Kona this year? I think I'd um, yeah, I'm actually not sure. I haven't really thought about it. Um, Either I would just go to St. George and race the 70.3 worlds uh, like the plan is, or maybe go home and spend some time with my family and my girlfriend. Um, either of those. I, 
you know, I don't really, I'm not doing triathlon in order to be famous. So uh, I kind of love my life uh, and I'll keep doing it. So um, I'll not change a whole lot um, just because of a title. <laughs> no week long bender in Kona then. Nah, I don't think it's a place for it. So, <laughs> uh, hey, thanks so much for the chat, mate. Um, Thank I've, you, Jack. I've always been a big fan. Me and you have been like trying to. I reckon we first messaged about this podcast maybe like six months ago. Yeah, um, and it's uh, it's an absolute honour to have you on. Have you on? I I think like if I haven't made it obvious throughout this podcast that that yeah, I I think so highly of you as as an athlete and and after this chat, mate, I. I think really highly of you as a bloke. You're you're super funny and and, and down to earth. And yeah, I, I actually I bloody enjoyed this chat, and I can't wait to to watch you do your thing in Kona. Like I said in the introduction, you will be at the front of the race. It's not it's not a matter of of will you or will or, or won't you. You will be. It's just what you do do from uh, the front of the race that'll be interesting to to see. Um, and and yeah, I hope you I hope you have the day that that you hope that you dream of and and that you're training for, and can't wait to watch it. Thanks a lot, Jack. It was a pleasure being on the podcast. I hope it's not the last time. <laughs> well, win and I'll get you back on. Cool. Deal. <laughs> See you, mate. See you. This episode was brought to you by Pillar Performance. Like I said, I use Pillar Performance products daily now and I love them. So if you want to try them for yourself or you just want to restock if you already use them, head to pillarperformance.shop and remember that while you're there, use my code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order. That's code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order.